0: Welcome to the Men of Valor program. Uh, Today, Randy, we're going to continue our conversation about words and definitions of words, particularly, obviously, words that pertain to the healing journey from sexual sin and addiction.
1: Well, I think it's a good series, Mark, from the standpoint of we take for granted that uh, everyone automatically understands the terminology that that we're hearing on a daily basis in the conversations that uh, that take place here in our own center.
0: That is right. So what I think sometimes happens is that people use words all the time. It's like recovery language becomes a foreign language. And uh, if we're not quite sure about the definitions of things, that can lead to uh, misunderstandings. We we actually hear that all the time, uh, even about some of the words we'll talk about today.
1: Well, I think uh, with that in mind, let's, uh, let's jump into today's show. All right, I'm going to jump
0: in by saying, just to orient the listeners, that uh, the place we're taking this word list from is the uh, end of the uh, workbooks that Life Ministry has produced, The Life Guide for Men, The Life Guide for Spouses, and so forth. And uh, at the end of that book, there's a kind of a resource section and there's a resource section entitled definition. So we're just going over that. And you can kind of consider this uh, like listening to Rosetta Stone. We're going to be
1: <laughs> teaching you a foreign language. Well, our good friends, <clears throat> Bob and Jonna Hale, who uh, are the heads of uh, Life Recovery International, uh, will appreciate this series because it's a good promotion for their publication.
0: That is right, So, and that's not why we're doing it. We're doing that so that we all speak the same language. We're um, talking the language of recovery. So uh, our first show in this series, we were interrupted a little bit last week by a guest uh, uh, that was here, and uh, now we're returning to it. But just to remind the listeners, our first show, we talked about one of the uh, central words in the recovery journey, and that's the word codependency. Um, now we're going to just kind of start at the beginning of the list and we're going to kind of
1: go over and see how many words on each show we can get in. Fine idea. Are you ready, Randy? I could not be, I'm at the edge of my seat, I can hardly wait. All right, well then
0: the first word might, uh, uh, get you a little bit, uh, sitting up in your chair. The first word we're going to talk about today is the word abstinence.
1: Abstinence. Well, we get a lot of questions about abstinence because you have some very well developed um, ideas around the subject.
0: Well, we don't, yes, and that is true. And we want to make sure that we understand the word abstinence. Uh, abstinence means the freedom from any kind of uh, sexual activity, uh, certainly uh, orgasmic activity. So if a person says that he's abstinent, that basically means that he is not engaging in sex with himself, or with others. Now, where this comes up a lot in our program is that we are generally, at some point, going to want the average addict to go through a period of abstinence, uh, and the purpose of that is to detox, detox from the neurochemical tolerance that sexual arousal creates. So, um, now, one of the other words on the list here in this section is 90 days, and we have historically recommended that every addict go through a period of abstinence for 90 days. And the reason for that is it's not that the neurochemical uh, detox takes 90 days. The neurochemical detox actually takes about 14 to 21 days. But if the addict is married and uh, they're going to get their spouse to mutually agree to this period of abstinence, which is you know, based on Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, Um, that we don't deny each other except for a time and by mutual consent. But the back part of that uh, verse is so that we can devote ourselves to prayer and fasting. So we think uh, a lot of the couples need to increase their spiritual connection, and 90 days is a good figure for abstinence because we're going to take sex out, put in some form of prayer, spiritual journey, uh, and it takes a while longer for that to be developed. All right, so that is, that is the definition of abstinence. No sex with self or others for a prescribed period of time. It can be different periods of time. Based on what the goal is, for the married couples, it might even be as long as 90 days. Are okay. you ready for our next word? I am. We talked about this, strangely enough, a little bit at lunch, and I know um, this uh, is actually a, a two-word term, Uh, And it comes up all the time. It came up with uh, the couples we were working with this morning. Accountability partner. What do we mean by an accountability partner? Well, an accountability partner is generally going to be a person who is in your support group, who knows you and knows your story, knows all about your acting out history, and uh, is, is a voice on the phone, a voice through text, a voice through Skype, uh, or a face-to-face contact that you have that is going to get with you regularly, you're going to talk to regularly. And given the fact that they know your story, they're going to be asking you at points very uh, uh, direct questions about how you're doing, whether you're feeling tempted, whether you're in any kind of danger of acting out. And more than that, I think uh, the broader definition of accountability partner has to do with the fact that an accountability partner is going to be Uh, an encourager. So all the positive changes you're trying to make, the good things you're trying to do in your recovery program, they're going to be reminding you and holding you accountable to uh, be doing those positive things.
1: And this is a powerful phrase here because uh, if you're a um, loyal listener to this program, you've heard entire programs. Uh, A number of months ago, we had Dr. Greg Miller, uh, who was part of the Faithful and True Family on, and he was talking about the importance of accountability groups. So I don't want to rush by this phrase because accountability partner is uh, a powerful concept that we really promote on a regular basis. You have done a a great job in trying to educate the listeners about the powerful um, usage of accountability partners and how um anyone who is on their healing journey needs not one but many accountability partners that's
0: right we usually use the round number of 10 uh, which i like because it comes kind of out of the the old historic concept of the roman legions they divided all uh, uh groups of soldiers into groups of 10 100 century 1000 legion But for uh, a good network of accountability partners, I've always said you need at least 10 guys.
1: Well, you've made the point from time to time. Yeah, If it's less than that and you in the real world find yourself at 2 a.m. struggling or tempted to view pornography and, and act out, you turn to that list. Well, if that list is only two or three accountability partners, there's going to be a high likelihood of getting no one to answer their phone. And uh, if that list is 10, as you're recommending, then uh, you've got a much better chance of one of those accountability partners picking up the phone and being for you, for being there for you uh, when you need it most.
0: That's right. So could be the 10th guy on your list that actually answers the phone or answers the text that kind of thing. But accountability partner is a mutual thing, by the way. So in other words, I may have 10 other guys, but uh, I'm also an accountability partner of theirs. So accountability partnering is a mutual... It's, it's a two-way street. It's a two-way street. You're
1: there for them just as they are there for you. Well, at this point, let's take our break right now. And when we come back, we've got... Uh, uh, you referenced earlier, we had a, a lively conversation uh, at lunch with our staff today and got some great input from uh, your wife, Debbie, and from uh, Susie Schmidt, who is a, another uh, therapist here. Uh, and they gave us some great triggers that we'd like to share with the audience. You're listening to Dr. Mark Laser, and this is the Menoveller Program.
0: suffering the misery that man goes
1: through and where were you when we needed you do you struggle with the use of pornography faithful and true is a christian based counseling center specializing in the treatment of sexual addiction and compulsive behavior issues our well trained staff has the highest levels of clinical expertise combined with personal experience to understand and effectively treat your sexual addiction We have a proven track record for helping men who are seeking a transformation in their lives. Our Men of Valor 3-Day Intensive Workshops led by Dr. Mark Laser and Dr. Greg Miller are the most effective and affordable treatment program in the country. Our workshop alumni rate our workshops as life-changing. We also offer workshops for spouses and couples. If you're ready to make a change in your life, and are seeking a treatment program provided by the top Christian experts in the sexual addiction field, visit us today at faithfulandtrue.com to learn more. That's faithfulandtrue.com. Time now for the Trigger of
0: the Week. Trigger of the Week, Randy, uh, as you were introducing as we went into break, uh, we occasionally pull our uh, female staff here, and that is not just Debbie and Susie, but also our administrator who many of our listeners know, Sherry Troutman. And uh, as women, uh, in terms of our topic of sexual purity and so forth, what is triggering to them? Now. Susie and Debbie just got finished with, this past weekend, a wives' workshop, so they were listening to the stories of the 25 women who were actually here, and uh, uh, this week and next week we're going to uh, basically uh, talk about their responses. So the first one is uh, the trigger that happens to a wife when, uh, let's say, she and her husband are walking uh, at the mall, and... uh, uh, now we 're not talking about uh, the fact that the husband is scanning uh, we 've talked about that one before we 're talking about a new one now, and that is when you walk by a store that is selling provocative articles of clothing and most malls these days have these kind of places and uh you know we 're obviously talking about the victoria 's secrets type of, of the world of mm-hmm. the world you know and I hope i 'm not giving them some reverse type of, of promotion promotion um, But for a wife to be walking by and seeing some of the provocative pictures in the window or the articles of clothing, uh, that can be a huge trigger back into the pain of uh, uh, the sexual betrayal that they've
1: experienced. Well, at the same time, they're observing their husband, and the husband's fascination, you know, he may be trying to uh, um, cover his interest, but uh, (laughs) it's not very uh, successful in most cases.
0: Well, you know, uh, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I-, I am aware of certain situations where the husband is, in fact, working his program. He's averting his eyes. He's not looking. He's doing his best to not indicate any interest in that. I think one of the things we're talking about here is that uh, the wives can be uh, triggered at points when the husbands are not. And uh, I think uh, the uh, the bad or the difficult situation that can arise there is that the wife, being triggered by walking by uh, Victoria's Secret, can say, um, uh, was that hard for you, or did you not struggle with that? And the husband says, actually, no, I, I was doing all right. I, I didn't look over there. I'm fine. And then at that point, the wife doesn't believe him. Well, why should she? I mean, he's lied to her for years. But, but uh, be aware. I think one of the things we're talking about with this trigger is that there might be times out there in culture, for sure, when the wives are triggered and the husbands are not. Good point.
1: Good point. I wasn't thinking of it from that direction, but that's a, that's a very valid point. All right,
0: should we move on? With yes, our let's list move of on words? to
1: your list of words.
0: Well, the next uh, words are actually a, a term uh, that we uh, encounter sometimes in our field. Uh, we know, of course, that the men that we work with are uh, guilty of acting out, we say, meaning that they have committed some form of sexual sin from you know, looking at porn to masturbating to having affairs and so forth. Uh, so that's acting out. But there's, a, there's an opposite term that we hear occasionally, and that's the uh, term acting in. And uh, acting in, uh, this situation just came up uh, yesterday a couple of different times, once in our Tuesday night men's group and once in one of our couple sessions. Acting in is when um, you're trying to, control your sexuality so profoundly that you do manage to more or less turn your sexuality completely off. And uh, back in the old days when Carnes was first started teaching about this particular dynamic, he would always compare acting out and acting in to the field of eating disorder. And he would always draw a continuum. And on one side of the continuum, there would be Uh, those eating disordered people who have overeating or bulimia in both cases they overeat in the one case they do something to purge themselves of the food they've just eaten so that's on one side on the other side uh, would be the anorexics of the world who basically are trying to turn off their appetite completely and so he would say the one the bulimics and the uh, overeaters those are the act out people, but on the other side, they're acting in. And the term in eating disorder that is used there is anorexia. So you um, have anorexia simply simply means uh, a sudden unexplained weight loss, but it's applied in the field of eating disorder to talk about those people who really are trying to turn off their appetite. So then he would explain it by talking about in the field of sex addiction, there are the, the guys that act out. They they do egregious sexual sins. There are kind of the uh, sexual bulimics of the world who act out and then try to punish themselves somehow. We, we see that all the time. Uh, but then on the other side, he was uh, always wanting everyone that he was teaching to know that there are those sex addicts, per se, who are dealing with their own addiction by trying to turn off their sexuality. Now, they become... Um, Anorexic, and uh, he actually wrote a book later on called Sexual Anorexia. They uh, just uh, don't do sex at all with themselves, with others, and the most painful part is they're not even available to their spouse. This is what came up yesterday in a couple of our couple sessions that the husband had a history of doing, in the one case, prostitution, but he hadn't had sex with his own wife for a number of years. And uh, that's acting in, meaning that he's trying in some way to control his sexuality, and he's got guilt and shame about his other stuff, so he's not at all um, active with his wife. And I think a common uh, uh, core belief that a lot of the wives would have is that, well, the reason he's not having sex with me is because he's not interested in me. He doesn't find me attractive anymore. That's not the case. This is more of a deeper psychological issue where you're trying to uh, control your sexuality. Uh, a lot of times people who act in are the sexual abuse survivors of the world. Uh, they have had uncontrolled sexuality going back to childhood in some of their cases. So they have made an attempt to uh, uh, just turn off sexuality so as not to put themselves in perceived danger.
1: And is that because their experience with uh, sexual Experience has been so painful that that they just mm-hmm. they want to go cold turkey and have nothing to do with sexuality.
0: Yeah, that is right. So uh, I'm thinking of an example of a husband and wife that got married, and there's no way that we're violating anonymity here because this is this is a pretty broad general dynamic. But uh, you know, when they got married, they were capable of having uh, sexual intercourse. The husband and the wife were both capable of having sexual intercourse. But let me just say without getting too crass on the airwaves here, that there was a certain part of uh her body that the wife did not want him to touch, and as we got to know the situation uh that part of her body was something that one of her uncles had regularly uh molested her around so he had uh gotten her alone in private and he had uh, touched her uh in those uh places and uh even with her own husband, even though she was willing to engage in acts of sexual intercourse, uh, she was not wanting her husband to touch that part of her body and uh, that's a that's kind of a modified form of acting in uh, she's trying to avoid the pain of the abuse experience by not having her husband trigger that pain by touching that part of her body so uh, this this whole thing about acting in can take uh, a variety of uh, of uh, situations but uh, I think it, it's an, acting in is an easy one to misinterpret, which is maybe why it's an important one to talk about. It's like you start making a lot of assumptions about why you're not having sex or why you're having adverse reactions to certain kind of sexual activities or practices. A lot of times that can be traced to pain in your past.
1: Do you find yourself having to deal with, sexual, uh, with clients uh, suffering with sexual anorexia? I mean, is that fairly common, or is that a, a, you know, does that really come around just once in a blue moon?
0: No, we're not talking about a blue moon here. We're talking about fairly common. One of the interesting statistics that is, in fact, based on research, is, and this is this runs against uh, kind of gender stereotypes, is that um, about one third of all husbands actually have a, a lower sex drive than their wives do. You know, we generally think gender stereotypically that in all marriages it's the husband who always wants sex all the time and the wife who is the brakes or the one saying yes or no. Well, that's not always the case. It could be that the husbands are uh, have a very low sex drive or they're they're on that anorexic side of things and they may not even be initiating. Uh, We were talking to a couple yesterday. The wife's chief complaint was, "I'm the only one who ever initiates sex." Well, the husband had been medicating himself with pornography. And masturbation for years, and uh, um, in some ways uh, had turned himself off you know to his own wife and he, he talked about it in the session that he was very attracted to her that wasn 't the point but he but he was using this as a way of trying to control his sexuality, but it 's an easy one to misinterpret. The wife was uh, crying because she thought he 's just not attracted to me wasn 't the case; it was due to a lot of stuff that was very painful in his past. Th-
1: that explanation right there shows the power of us having this conversation uh-huh. about taking a look at these words because i 'm sure that you 're opening the eyes of a lot of our listeners uh, the, These are interesting uh, Phrases, uh, words, uh, word combinations that we hear but don't fully, you know, we make some assumptions that we understand what it means. Right. And uh, in so many cases, until you hear someone like yourself give us that, uh, um, that full explanation, it, your eyes are open to a, a whole different side of it. Well, we have time for, I think, one more of these words for us to take a look at for today, but um, we will uh, continue this, uh, this series with next week's show as well. So those who are listening and who are intrigued by uh, understanding and learning more about these phrases um, can look forward to that show.
0: All right. Well, we'll go into one more that shouldn't take that long to explain. Uh, the listeners will notice that we're going through the alphabet here. So, you know, we're we're starting with A and now we're getting to, to B. We just talked about acting in. Now the next word or the next uh, term is bottom line. Now that's a common term. We always talk about certain situations in which what is our bottom line? Uh, that's usually referring to something that uh, we're not willing to go any farther than this. We're not willing to tolerate something. Our bottom line is this. And we can state it in relationship to so many things. In our field, a bottom line, particularly between a couple, uh, we have a lot of our, our couples who, you know, the husbands have defined um, their sobriety by no adultery, no masturbation, no pornography, no lying. We, we call that lamp. Lying, adultery, masturbation, pornography. Uh, Even inside that definition, we encourage the wives to have a bottom line. And a bottom line would be that uh, lying might be egregious and terrible and and cause great damage, but it may not be cause for divorce. Uh, When you look at masturbation, uh, for some of the wives, that is the bottom line. If you were to masturbate again, I'm out of here, or you're out of here. Uh, if you look at pornography again the same way, there are other uh, wives who might say my bottom line is across the flesh line. So if you, you know, look at porn or masturbate, you know, I'll be angry, I'll be sad, but I think we can work through that. <clears throat> but a bottom line for me is if you were to cross the flesh line. And that would mean that I would, in fact, ask you to leave, and that, in fact, might lead us to uh, divorce. So bottom line is what we're willing to tolerate and what we're not willing to tolerate and and kind of work through. And I would encourage um, all the couples listening to this, uh, and I think it's helpful to the husbands to know um, that uh, there are bottom lines, you know, and I, I, I've known all along in my uh, now almost 28 years of sobriety that... Uh, Debbie's bottom line is if I were to ever cross the flesh line again. Uh, so uh, thanks be to God I haven't done that. But I, I would say that I think she would even say t- today that, you know, if there were to be some incident of uh, looking at something pornographic, that would not be cause for her to, you know, think about something uh, more desperate.
1: As you and Debbie work with all the couples that you do, he is establishing a bottom a personal bottom line with these couples is that is that part for the course? Is that something you do with all the couples
0: yeah that 's just part of uh, our general conversation about definitions of sobriety, meaning that we definitely want the husbands to outline very specifically with their wives what they mean when they say i 'm sober and when when you say you 're sober, what does that mean? you have not done. We want to make sure we 're very clear about that. Then incorporated in that could be the wife's bottom line. You know, what is your bottom line, in terms of uh, if your husband does have some kind of a slip, uh, depending on what that is. You know, uh, how are you going to react to that? Now, some wives say, "I really don't know necessarily until that happens," um, but I can tell you that you know, if he were to have another affair across the flesh line. Uh, that would probably be the end of the story.
1: If it sounds to me like that's maybe the most common bottom line. That is
0: the most common bottom line.
1: Well, that's speaking right. of bottom lines, um, how would you care to summarize today's show And as, as we uh, are getting deeper into this exploration of uh, popular phrases?
0: Well, I think one of the things I'm hoping with this series, Randy, is that by explaining terms like we did today, particularly with the acting in and acting out one, That we're increasing levels of understanding and the ability for couples to talk with each other in healthy and more intimate ways. We're decreasing confusion about interpretations or core beliefs. And um, by and large, we're leading toward greater intimacy for all of our individuals and all of our couples.
1: Isn't that something that we all search for? Absolutely. You've been listening to Dr. Mark Laser. I'm Randy Everett, your co-host. We thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to coming back next week to continue this series on the Men of Valor program.